Hey, welcome to the Coming Out Late Podcast. I'm Robin, your host, and I'm a late bloomer just like you. We are a part of a rapidly growing, lesser known, or even talked about subset of the queer community. We're a tribe, if you will. And if you're anything like me, when I came out, I was confused, scared. I felt like I was going crazy and I felt all alone and had nobody to talk to. Not to worry, you've come to the right place. In the Coming Out Late podcast, you'll hear real, raw, and relatable Coming Out Late stories. You'll be inspired, informed, and educated, and you'll definitely feel supported. And you can stop feeling like you're living someone else's life and start living your own. So welcome, you have found your tribe. And welcome to the Coming Out Late podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in and choosing to spend your precious time with me today. I'm Robin, your host of the Coming Out Late podcast. Oh my goodness, I've gone around and around in my mind about how to best introduce this episode to you. I've listened and re-listened to the recording for this week's podcast several times now. It is so, so powerful. You too will likely want to re-listen to it a few times. And each time I re-listen, I keep hearing many new nuances, beautiful expressions of fear, of love, and clearly of courage. I feel inspired and humbled and hopeful, and I feel like no words that I could possibly string together in an introduction could possibly give this brave woman and her beautiful and courageous story justice. So instead, I'll simply share with you the story of how Michelle and I met. As the admin of our private Facebook group coming out late, it is my job to peruse all the requests that come in who want to join our group and and make sure that all the required registration questions have been answered before a request to join can be approved. In Michelle's case, I needed to follow up with her in Facebook Messenger asking her to please fill in a few of the missing answers to the questions. In her response, she not only answered those questions, but she also ended up sharing her story with me, the story that you're about to hear. After typing to me hundreds of words regarding the beginning of her story on a teeny tiny keyboard, she felt succumbed to that tedium and promised me she'd send me an email finishing her story on a regular-sized keyboard. I couldn't wait because what she had written so far was so, so heartfelt powerful, so tender, and emotionally charged. Whew, this gal has a way with words. And the other really cool part of her story is that she weaves all aspects of her life into this coming out late story, not simply the sexuality. Yes, this is her coming out story, but it is so much more than that. It is a deep, deep peek into the prelude and interlude of her coming out late journey, But like I said, more than that, it is also her story about life in general, as now seen through her shiny, bright new pair of rainbow-colored glasses. 
It's a fascinating listen from a fascinating storyteller and a newly out woman. Since then, we've exchanged some more messages and emails, and it hit me her story would make for a beautiful share right here on this podcast. I didn't want to read her story to you because her words and her experiences were simply way too delicate and colorful for my heavy-handed voice. So I reached out to Michelle, asking her if she would be kind enough to read and record her story and send it to me so that I could share it with you all and the world today. Thankfully, she humbly agreed. I'm going to quickly run through the announcements before I roll the recording of my conversation with Michelle. If you get something out of listening to my Coming Out Late podcast, then allow me to invite you to please make a virtual coffee donation to Hugo and I. All you have to do is go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Robin Douglas, R-O-B-I-N-D-O-U-G-L-A-S-S, and buy us a virtual cup of coffee or two. Your donations help make this podcast possible, and I deeply appreciate each and every donation. So thank you very much. Retreats, the coming out late retreats that are confirmed for 2024 are St. Petersburg, Florida, April 25th through April 28th, 2024, and the Out and Wild Women's Wellness Festival in Wales, May 31st through June 3rd, 2024 which reminds me, I really need to send my passport out to get updated. I want to go over there next year with my, uh, with my maiden name. And I can say with sincere certainty that we will be returning to Traverse City, Michigan in 2024, hopefully during their Up North Pride, which takes place September 25th through September 29th, 2024. And I am also seriously hoping to get out to Portland, Oregon, and California, possibly San Diego and L.A. in 2024. So if you're interested in having me put your name and email address on the wait list for any of these retreat locations, just send me an email to comingoutlater at gmail.com and let me know which retreat you're interested in and I'll get your name on the list. The support groups lately have been amazing. I recently announced that I was doing Messy Middle Mondays every other Monday, but I have just decided because of requests and demand that we are meeting weekly now. So Messy Middle Monday meets weekly at 8.30 at night, Eastern Standard Time, every single Monday night. The other ones that are still in circulation every single Wednesday, we have the Not Straight Support Group, and every other Thursday, the 50 Plus and Fabulous Group meets, and I have temporarily put on hiatus the Women Loving Women Group, just purely because the numbers of people that wanting to attend that night uh, have been down. So we're just going to kind of pivot and roll and adjust and uh, offer what's, what's needed. Coaching. Don't forget... I offer coming out late coaching sessions, so if you are stuck, scared, sick and tired of feeling all alone and have nobody to talk to, and you want to move past the pain that you're experiencing, then reach out to me, because this is what I do. I coach and guide we late bloomers through some of the toughest days, weeks, and months of our lives. It really does make a difference to have a coming out late coach like myself who really understands what you're going through. So email me, comingoutlater at gmail.com and I will send you my coaching information sheet, and we can take it from there. All right, let's roll the tape. And so, I bring you 
Michelle's story. Hi Robin, it's Michelle again. Texting back a response to the two missed security questions seems to have opened the floodgates. I'm afraid a proper keyboard was required. And the questions? No idea how I missed them, sorry. I'm 47 and my awakening to queerness happened about four months ago. So still pretty raw and it has been quite a ride. I discovered your podcast last week while driving the eight hours from Sydney to Melbourne, where I live. I was up visiting my sister and I've since binged pretty much all of the episodes. Your work is extraordinary. You're extraordinary. Your efforts, your energy, your presence. What a gift. Many of the late in life stories include complex arrangements and rearrangements of marriage and children incredibly courageous and challenging journeys. I myself don't have children and I'm not married. I was married for nine months in 2006 to an English musician, one of a series of men who just didn't work out for a number of reasons. But I'm realizing now that being with men involved cutting off bits of myself and making myself smaller in order that they would feel like men I'm a civil engineer and have been the, usually the primary breadwinner. I'm outspoken and physically strong and over time this has tended to emasculate even the most sensitive new age guy. There's a gradual energetic imbalance and it just works out it just isn't sustainable. I was single for several years and my last relationship with a man went fairly spectacularly pear-shaped. Um, a story for another day perhaps, but in short, it was traumatic. And since then, emotional and physical hermetic celibacy was feeling like a pretty attractive option. Another strand to my story weave is 12-step recovery, which I entered in 2008. And I'll have 14 years up in November. It took about five years for me to begin to understand emotional sobriety. When I turned 40, I experienced a few significant sideways bumps, deaths of people close to me, some professional experiences which left me pretty jaded and a time of retreat on the beach, meditating with the dolphins and the sunrises. I saw clearly my polarised worldview of right or wrong, crazy or sensible. I saw that it needed healing, maturing. My program sponsor challenged me on a number of my deep-seated resentments. Michelle, it's your life. You're a grown woman. When are you going to stop blaming your parents and live the life that you want? So after some soul searching, I quit my engineering job and I enrolled in theology with a view to becoming a military chaplain. My dream had always been to work in spiritual accompaniment, but it always just seemed too crazy. But about six months ago, I graduated with my master's degree. And over the time of my study, I've accompanied patients in hospitals in their dying moments. And I've been flown into the bushfire affected regions with the army in 2020. And I'm currently on the pathway to becoming an ordained minister. 
It has been a colourful and an amazing ride. And speaking of all things colourful, this brings me to another awakening and the reason for this email. A few years back, I encountered a woman in the recovery Zoom rooms, a mechanic who shared on some challenges of working in a male-dominated workplace. As a civil engineer, I related and we got to chatting. I was pretty sure that she was not straight with her tattoos, her spiky hair and her androgynous physicality and that way of sitting, you know. It's not that I've lived a sheltered life exactly, but I had not known too many outwardly, openly gay people. I felt so beige in the encounter with this extraordinary, exotic creature. With my theology, I had studied eco-spirituality and the big universe story. And she spoke of her love of the stars and had even named her cat after Carl Sagan. She herself had been given the nickname Cosmo. We kept in contact over the ensuing years, checking in with texts from time to time. And then a few months back, she came to a funeral in a place close to my home. We didn't meet in person, but it started off a new level of conversation. She shared with me that someone she had dated had not worked out. I found myself saying that that person clearly had no taste and I realised that I was flirting with a woman. I felt that she was not discouraging me. I knew that I had to say something. I didn't know what was happening, but I cared too much about her to draw her in and hurt her with games. I had to be honest. So one night I called and told her I didn't know what was happening, but that I seemed to be flirting, which was very surprising because as far as I was aware, I was straight. I told her that I valued her friendship and that I was afraid of hurting her. And I didn't know if these feelings were a thing or some sort of fantasy. She said that she had feelings too. She hadn't actually realised that I was flirting as she was pretty oblivious to these things. But she loved our conversational journeys and would like to keep engaging. She sent me Tegan and Sarah's closer. One day I shared with her that the experience of knowing her felt like tectonic plates moving. She took the metaphor and opened it up. What pressures were driving them? And how did they move relative to each other? I had always loved to speak in images and I had only ever had one person open these images up deeper, my 80-year-old pastoral care supervisor. For the first time in a very long time, I was lost for words. Long story short, she took a job about an hour from where I live and we met up. And we've been seeing each other as girlfriends for three months today. (laughs) At times I felt like my reality was flipping on itself. Like one day I'd woken up and the sky had changed colour. Like everything was upside down or a verse of itself. And 
did I need to get a new wardrobe now and buy some beanies? Could I still wear my wide-legged, uncuffed pants? And which letter am I? Am I an L or a B or maybe a P? Being the engineer that I am, I immersed myself in educational YouTube videos. <laughs> and many of them I actually started to find a bit grating. Apparently, I should identify as a top or a bottom. There seemed to be a significant old demographic who, with male partners, had assumed the position of bottom because that was the way of things. But now as L's, they're allowed to be tops. To identify as a bottom seemed to kind of carry a negative connotation, although it could be redeemed uh, if one was to become a power bottom. <laughs> also with no man, uh, there seemed that there was now a need to, to learn how to do the man jobs like taking out the garbage and use power tools. I reflected, read, ranted to the ever-patient Cosmo, that A, clearly none of these women had ever been married to a musician, and B, surely this, this was not sexual identity, but rather cultural conditioning. I mean, what about being a male or a female qualifies anyone to take out the garbage or use a power tool? And C, why would you want to be just a top or a bottom? I mean, it depends on the day, right? And the mood and the dance. It seemed that the rainbow world offered many possibilities for stepping out of one cage and into another. I asked Cosmo and she said that, well, she wasn't the best person to ask as she'd never been a very good lesbian. But as far as she was concerned, we were no particular letter. We were just Michelle and Cosmo. I had no idea how it would be physically being with a woman. We had an incredible connection talking online and on the phone. But when we eventually met in person, would I feel anything physically? And how would the anatomical situation work out? I was a big fan of sex, but the behaviour of my own anatomy was still a bit of a mystery, let alone that of another woman's. Well, turns out I had nothing to worry about. It was just peachy. I mean, I was in the hands of a woman who had come out at age 15 and was pretty familiar with the terrain. I mean, at times I felt like a dancer with two left feet. But the thing was, though, that like in no other relationship of mine before, we used our words. And the world that opened up was extraordinary. Where masculine anatomy for me has been all out there and obvious and pokey and shouty, I found the feminine to be more like a multi-dimensional cosmic doorway. Communication and relating generally are so different. Where in previous relationships it's felt like a multilingual push and pull. This is more like pulling in the same direction and in the same language. And the result is that we seem to be going so much further, so much deeper. And the possibility here seems without limit. And it's not just in building something between each other, but building something meaningful in our world and our community. All of that said, there is the coming out bit. Oh, the coming out. Cosmo came out at 15. She moved around a lot with her dad, who was in the military. And also she's pretty small in stature, so on several levels she had a lot of intense bullying in her life. 
When she speaks about the pain and the cruelty, it brings me to tears. While she's softly spoken and calm and earthy, there is a steely core. Her side eye can cut a man down at 50 paces. At 34, with a sprawling Sanskrit tattoo across her throat chakra, she stands tall in all her five feet and one inch. She is who she is, and the rest of the world can take it or take off. And in the face of this integrity, I realise, with no small amount of shame, how much of a people pleaser I am. Just how much I care about what people think. Having always considered myself relatively unconventional, this realisation is frankly a bit embarrassing. I also learned with great discomfort a new concept, internalised homophobia. And I've learned how much of it lives in me. It is clear though that as my sponsor pointed out when I turned 40, A life lived out of other people's expectations is a life dominated by fear and resentment. The courage required to build the muscle to move through this fear, to live with authenticity and integrity is huge. It is so vulnerable and so exhausting. This is all about identity. Yes, it's sexual identity, but it is more. It is understanding and speaking from the depth of my body and soul. As a woman, really understanding who I am and standing in that place, in all contexts, with my liberal artist friends who toast the many colours of the rainbow, but also in a church which still calls me disordered and may well no longer employ me once they know. And so to coming out. First, I told some safe friends. It felt so intense, exhausting. I mean, the friends were wonderful. So why was it so intense and emotional? The feeling, what it reminded me of, is exhaustion that sometimes follows a funeral. Even funerals, which aren't tragic ones, of older people who have lived a good life. The funerals are exhausting, and as a chaplain I've seen this is a common experience. What I understand is that grief can be exhausting. Standing at the face of the mystery which death is, the limits of our rational knowing are exposed and we lose energy to it. We need to retreat, to rest and restore. I think that coming out involves grief. It is a letting go of who we were, who people thought we were, the security of the known and stepping into the mystery. It is good, yes, it is growth and it is life, but it requires a lot of vulnerability and energy. The wise woman would practice self-care. Next, I worked up the courage to tell my sister She was so funny. She's an occupational therapist and works with neurodiverse children, occasionally those who are exploring the spectrum of gender identity. She was so excited. She did a happy dance. 
we were in her office at work and she pulled out some rainbow-coloured tape and waved it around. The next year have been a bit more challenging. As I've been studying and working in theology, I have developed a circle of friends of whom I am realising the depths and strength of their conservatism. And as it happens, while they are so loving in so many respects, some are deeply homophobic. How did I not see this? Even just introducing Cosmo as my friend, seeing her tattoos and her ripped jeans, they have been outwardly rude. My parents are aged and my mum is pretty unwell with dementia. Mum is still lucid, but increasingly less so, fragile and anxious. My dad is exhausted and grief-stricken caring for her. I spend a lot of time with them helping out where I can, and of recent times Cosmo too has been spending time with them. Much to my surprise, even my dad adores her. He talks to her about cars and his model trains, and they've both asked her about her tattoos, not in a rude way, just more fascinated. It was a surreal moment, my conservative Catholic parents conversing, fascinated about inking and designs and colours. I think maybe mum sees a link with the patterns and the patchwork that she's always loved. I realise how much I love them for their relative open-mindedness. Last night, mum gave Cosmo a big hug and after telling me goodbye and that she loved me, she said to Cosmo, I love you too. Some people have said that it would be easier if I didn't tell them. I don't need the extra stress, but at the same time, we've always been pretty open and honest with each other and it feels dishonest to be misrepresenting the situation. I'm just so afraid that if they know the whole story, I'll lose them, that they'll reject this. And our time now is limited. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, my brother flew in with his kids for the weekend, just gone. He doesn't visit very often, but when he does, he has a lot to say. <laughs> He brought his kids and they fell in love with Cosmo. But I could sense that he was wary. We're too liberal, educated and left-leaning for him to be openly hostile. But the last night of his visit, he pulled me aside. Um, he spoke of his concerns about our parents. I could see that after not seeing them for eight months or so, he was hit with the grief of all the change that's been happening with mum. He rounded out his download with a question about Cosmo and myself. When was I going to tell mum and dad and how I should tell them? Matter of factly, he told me that it was just confusing for everyone, that there was no pattern to my relationships. I understood that, didn't I? I had to say, no, not really. I didn't understand his meaning. He mused that I did seem to be a lot more stable than I had previously in my life. That it was not of great consequence to him. But, you know, just that he cared. 
I think that was the inference I was to draw. We left shortly after, and I asked Cosmo to drive me down to the river. I just sat and ranted and cried. I had invited him to meet Cosmo. I had not invited his judgment of me or of her or of our relationship, which he seemed to conclude was just the latest crazy attention-seeking stunt in my crazy, unbalanced life. I still don't really understand the pattern comment or how he could assume to understand the patterns of my intimate relationships. I don't think he's ever asked. To me, I sense there is a pattern, but it's complex and subtle. Not so much a straight line, but a beautiful fractal. Each relationship has been a gift of sorts. Even the musician husband, who everyone thought was insufferable, he was the one who broke the cycle and catalyzed my 12-step recovery. He saved my life. I see each of these relationships as a jewel on a beautiful chain that I wear. Maybe the name of the chain is wisdom. It is sacred to my being. It has led me to here. In a sense, it felt like my brother saw the chain and stomped on it. I felt kicked in the stomach. And for the whole next day, I felt really raw. I clearly still feel a bit weepy. There are a number of family events coming up and a wedding of a son of one of my conservative friends. I was going to ask Cosmo to come. She even picked out a super yummy suit to wear at the wedding. However, I'm just not sure I have the resilience right now to run the gauntlet. Cosmo is of the view that it is okay to take distance from toxic relationships until one has the time to process and build some internal calm and resilience. She's had to do this in her relationship with her dad and I'm learning day by day about being gentle and loving with myself, protecting my sacred places. Robin, your podcast and your wisdom and the wisdom of the whole Coming Out Late community have been so helpful in this. And, so it seems, I am a queer woman. In my master's thesis, I wrote on the theology of the body, the wisdom of the soma, with which the Christian tradition has historically had an uneasy relationship, which is surprising given it's the one tradition in which the divine actually became incarnate into flesh. My thesis explored evolution, fractals and divine diversity of the emerging directions in theology which are less objective, rational, left-brained and more subjective, hearty and emerging from the wisdom of the body. Feminist and queer theologians are doing incredible work to heal the narrative and by extension those who've been wounded by it. On this I wrote at length and of the need to move away from the at best limited and at worst deeply abusive, essentialist positions to which areas of the church is still attached. Recognising the chorus of courageous theologians who have spoken out and suffered for it. When I wrote this, I was not even conscious that I myself was writing as a queer woman. 
I'm not sure where this will lead in my path to ordination, which doors will close and which will open. I'm exploring a PhD in which I can deepen the writing on queer experience and spirituality. Life is so surprising. I had genuinely begun to think that I was pathologically incapable of sustaining an intimate relationship. I had my exciting path into theology and pastoral care, which I love and had decided contained more than enough love for one lifetime. Joyfully now, though, I think maybe it was just the type of relationship which was not sustainable. This relationship, this incredible tattooed one of the multi-dimensional doorways is gradually blowing away the creeping cynicism of my 47 years. In signing off, I would like to speak to a significant grief realised in the past months. As I have fallen in every way for this extraordinary woman, like the veritable flicking of a light switch, having had no idea until this moment that I was queer, Surely I was always queer and somehow suppressed it. And I grieve for that part of myself, which must have been trapped inside some dark, dusty closet. All of those beautiful colours, all that light. But I'm thinking that maybe that place was not so much a closet as a womb, where my rainbow self was held safe until I had the resilience, the muscle, the community to flourish. I was not even consciously aware that I was not safe until now as I have begun to reveal myself. Because as long as I cooperated, nothing was threatened and no one took up arms. But I do sense that it was in my cells. It is my pattern, my journey, my beautiful wisdom chain and it has all brought me to this place where all of me can finally stand in love, possibility and community. As you say, Robin, it is better late than never and it is never too late. As to my brother, I'm thinking it is not that he saw my wisdom chain and cast it away. I think I understand that he simply, he did not see it at all. All he saw was a reflection of his own fears and shadow. In time, who knows? As to my parents, I will hold them in prayer one day at a time. Love is love. Love never fails. Thank you, Robin, for holding your light to all of our paths. If you're looking for your people, your community, and a safe place to learn and get answers to your questions, then come join the conversation. Come join us in our private Facebook group, Coming Out Late, because we all know it's better late than never, and it's never too late. Time.